Good morning. Glad to see you here this morning. We are in the second week of a message series that we're talking about my life in focus. And in this series, we're talking about how vision, a clear mental picture of what could be in your life and then what should be in your life, plus personal ownership of that vision, translate into everyday motivation to please God if you have the right vision, if you have the right picture. Last week, we we looked particularly at how to turn vision into reality, how it translates, what, what it takes from us to do that. Um, we looked at Paul's picture of uh, his general picture of what life is all about. And at the heart of it, it's knowing Christ and the power of his resurrection. And so we looked at how um, as he as he lives, you know, as well. OK, he, he wasn't married. I was about to say as he lived out his marriage, as we live out our marriages, um, we, we we get to know Christ as we hit these points in marriage where we're struggling, where there's conflict, there are things going on, and we get to choose. Do I do it my old way? Do I handle this conflict the old way? Or do I just go ahead and die to myself and do it God's way? And as you as you choose that, you get to know Christ better because you figure out that God's way is the best. His way is right. And then you also, you die to yourself, but then there's a resurrection. He brings life to you as you choose to give yourself over to him. This, this is the way life, this is the way the Christian life works. This, this is the focus of it. We keep dying daily. Jesus said, if you follow me, you got to die daily. And so we keep dying to ourselves, and he gives life to us out of the death, out of burying ourselves. And whatever it is that we're dealing with in that moment, he brings life out of that. So... Paul's picture is in marriage, you're, you're learning to do life God's way and you get to know Jesus better as you make the choices that would please him. Same thing at work. You get up and go to work. You know, work's not about me. It's about pleasing Jesus at work. As I do it his way, I learn more about Jesus. This is what life's all about. This is the picture in his mind. Today... We're looking at having the right vision for our money. And if you want to know Jesus better, this is, this is a key area that he actually talks about quite a bit. He, he brings the issue of money up a lot. And I heard a guy this week, I was listening to a book on visioneering, it was called. And he said, Jesus hasn't captured your heart until he's captured your wallet. That's true. That's why Jesus keeps talking about it, because your wallet, what's in there, the green stuff that's in your wallet, it is tied directly to your heart because you've given a tremendous amount of time and effort to earn that. So Jesus keeps bringing it up. And so we talk about it every once in a while here because there's a direct link between my vision of what money is to be used for and the way I handle it. A direct link. And God keeps pointing this out in Scripture. When we look at our budget and start thinking about our final financial goals, we have a picture of where our money could take us and what it could do for us. 
that, that picture is the vision you have for your money. What would you do if you received a sudden windfall? What, what would you do? What's your picture in your mind? After you get done dancing and, you know, having a party, what, what would you do? What, what is on your mind, the picture in your mind? Maybe you get a large inheritance from family or you hit the jackpot in some other way. What, what's the picture? What would you do next? What would you do with that? I was watching uh, America's Got Talent the other day. Uh, just kill time, which probably was literally what I was doing, killing time. Um, but there's a gal on there, Heavenly Joy was her name, and she's actually, uh, her family is a friend of Joel and Emily Berry's family. And she she sang and tapped. She She tap danced and sang. And before she did her singing and dancing, they asked her, what would you do with the million dollars if you want it and she said well I wouldn't keep it I would give it to some of the people in the world who don't have clothes I would give them clothes and that that's that is a vision that's what I'm talking about that's a picture of what she would do with her money now she's from a family that doesn't need any more money I'm pretty sure they're a Hollywood family they have a lot of money but they're training her to turn her heart inside out to look at what she could do if God blessed her in that way. That, that's your money vision. What, what you would do, what, what, it's, it's more than that, it's what you do with the money you have every day that is a direct result of the picture that you have in your mind of how life would change if you use it in a certain way, that's your money vision. That's what we're talking about. As I've said, the picture we have in our head of what we could and should do impacts our everyday motivation and the choices that we make. People land with money. They land somewhere along a spectrum of extremes um, from uh, being extremely frugal to extremely Spendy. I, I lean toward the spendy side. That's that's my my deal. But uh, here's an example of a person along the frugal side of the spectrum from a reality TV show. Let's watch this. My husband tries to stop me from spending. It's very annoying. This is my frozen assets. We have a credit card, but try not to abuse it. I freeze the credit card so that it's not easily accessible. And what I'm doing is thawing out the ice. And it's a lot of effort, so in order for my wife to use it, she has to put some labor into it. <laughs> These are my paper towels that have been used. And reused, and reused, and reused, and are still quite functional, as you see. They save about $100 a year in paper towels alone. Coffee is very expensive, so instead of using it freely, I kind of reuse it. This one's gotten three or four cups out of it already, but I'm still not done with it yet. I have one more final use for it. 
Window cleaner costs probably around $3 a spray bottle. Well, I don't purchase it. I make my own out of the coffee ground. I shake it up. Although it appears to be dirty, you will see how clean it can get a window. I'm saving an additional $3 every month or so, which adds up to maybe $40, $50 a year. Clear as daylight. So there you go. There's an example of a man on the extreme frugal end of the spectrum. You land somewhere along the, the spectrum. Now, you may be thinking there's some great ideas in there. <laughs> I mean, come on. That's, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use that right there. Or you might be thinking, oh, my, I would never, never want to do that. That's, that's a lot of work right there. We all operate out of the picture we have. We, we do what we do every day out of this mental picture, our vision. We can't see this man's vi- vision that motivates him to scrimp and save like he does, but he has a vision. He has a reason. The, the vision might be a picture of sacrifice for a greater purpose. Maybe he's doing that for uh, a reason beyond himself, or maybe it's to pay down a mountain of debt. Maybe that's the picture in his mind. I mean, the credit card being frozen, that might be it. He's trying to make sure they can pay down that mountain of debt. But he's translating his picture into what he does every day of his life. It it might be um, that he's trying to save all the money he can to create a stronghold that will protect him from any harm or, or anything that goes wrong. You know, people have different pictures in their mind as to what they want to do with their money, everyday choices are linked to the picture that we painted in our mind, the vision we have. Having the right vision for our finances is something that the Bible addresses again and again because it's something we live every day, and it's got this direct link to our heart. When Jesus told stories to illustrate his point, nearly half of them were connected to money. It's interesting. He makes a big deal out of it because our vision of our money and our possessions and what they'll do for us is directly tied to our heart. What we treasure the most in our hearts turns into what we do every day. Our picture of how we should handle our money flows into what we do with our money. This is the way it flows. In the Bible, we see that the measure I use determines the size of my harvest. This, this is a mental picture that you see in the scripture over and over again. We're going to dig into a verse shortly that, that talks about this. God shows the link between the level of my generosity and the, the joy factor in my life. They're directly linked. My generosity and my joy are linked to one another. If I'm a stingy person, I'm not a very happy person. You know this. You've probably seen this. You've experienced this. If I'm a stingy man or woman, watch out. It could be rough. The link spills over into every area of our life, in our family life, in our relationships, with our friends, in our purpose, our emotions, our outlook, our attitude. This 
generosity level spills over. I can't compartmentalize my use of money and my resources and keep it in a certain place because a generous heart spills over into every area of our lives. And it it generates a generous heart will create a, a great deal of joy for us if we can grow in it. This this is why Jesus said he came to give us an abundant, the best life, the full life, the best life we can have. And this is why he keeps talking about it. This is why we bring it up here. Because it's it's so important to get the right picture, the right vision, the right purpose of our, for our money. Uh, we see the picture in 2 Corinthians of how generous living is tied directly to our spiritual growth, which is another reason why Jesus keeps talking about it. Because as you grow, the, the standard in the New Testament for growing spiritually is Jesus Christ. So if you want to grow as a Christian, you grow to be more and more like him. He's generous. God is generous. So the more we grow in generosity, the more we become like him. This is, this is, what, God, this is what God's doing in our lives. So at the time the passage that we're going to look at in a moment was written, Christians in Jerusalem were experiencing persecution for their faith in Jesus Christ. So many people were fleeing to other areas. It was just, they were being scattered. This is actually one of the things God used to spread Christianity throughout the world at the time. They, they scattered under the persecution, um, and they began to share Christ wherever they were. But, but some didn't run. Some of the folks stayed in Jerusalem. They stayed put, and not only were they under persecution, they, a famine struck at the same time. So they're under persecution, they stay, a famine strikes, and uh, that left many people in need, especially widows, orphans, and disabled folks who couldn't work. So the growing church around the world got wind through Paul of the need in Jerusalem, and he began to rally funds to help them. He began to rally the churches around the world to, to help. The Corinthian church that he's writing to in this, these couple of verses that we're going to look at, they were so enthusiastic a year before he wrote what we're going to read today. They were so enthusiastic that it spurred on other churches in Macedonia to give as well. So, I mean, they're, they're all fired up and it's contagious. So everybody's, you know, starting to think, how can I give? How can I help? What can I do? And generosity is contagious as well. This is, this is the way it is. Um, but this is a year after their initial, let's do this. They hadn't given anything yet. They hadn't actually written the checks. I don't think they wrote checks at that time, but they hadn't actually given the money to help the people in Jerusalem. So Paul comes back and he reminds them that it's not about the talk. It's about the walk. This is what he's trying to do. He's trying to say, hey, look, guys, you know, you need to do what you said you're going to do and just go ahead and give. And then he begins to paint a picture for them of how God works through our giving when we bless others with our money. And this is what he says. 
in 2 Corinthians 9, 6. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So he gives a picture that they're very familiar with. Sowing financial seeds through giving will bring a harvest. It will bring a bountiful harvest. The more you sow, the more you reap in terms of the harvest. The size of the harvest always corresponds to the scope of the sowing. We can either use our money for ourselves now or sow it for a spiritual harvest in the lives of many down the road. This is the picture he paints. So we take care of ourselves, our needs, and as we sow sparingly with the money that we can give, we reap sparingly. As we sow bountifully, we reap bountifully. God is paying attention. Your financial arena is something God's watching. Now, why would he do that? Because it's so tied to our heart. So he's watching how we handle our resources, and he's paying attention to some things. Particularly, he's looking at two things. First, he's looking at the attitude I choose. That, that's the first thing. When I give, my attitude really matters. 2 Corinthians 9.7 says, Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Now, in my earlier days, I used to think, well, I'm not real happy about giving, so I think I'm going to hold on to some of this right here. <laughs> well, that's not good either. Because as you, as you walk with the Lord, you hold on to things that he's moved your heart to give, you get spanked. It's not, it's not good. I've been there, too. Um, but what he's saying here is, as you give, you go before God, you think about it, you pray about it, you give consideration to it, and then you give freely to the needs, to the cause, to what God's doing in the world. But you don't do it flippantly or grudgingly. God's a giver, and when we give... We're like him, and it pleases him, brings joy to his heart. A big portion of the harvest we receive back from God is joy and meaning in this life. This, this is what he gives back. As we refresh others with our money, we get refreshed in the middle of that. We're, we're using something temporary, money, and we're giving it to eternal things. I, whenever I think of this, I always think of my dad at July 4th. You know, he's, he, he hated fireworks. I don't know if he hated them, he didn't like them, he didn't like to buy them. Because he said, you might as well just put a pile of money down there and burn it. <laughs> you know, he had a point, you know. He, he had a point. But here's a way that we can take something very temporary and we can use it for something eternal as we invest it in... God's work, the people God made, as we bless them, we can use the temporary to invest in an eternal reward down the road that God promises. So God pays attention to our attitude. He's also looking at the amount in proportion to the whole. Now, 
What is giving sparingly for one may be giving bountifully for another. This, this is the way God looks at it. A hundred dollar gift is relative. It may be in the cheap category or the incredibly generous category. I saw a story this week about a, a Swiss millionaire's son who uh, torched his $310,000 Ferrari 548 because it wasn't the one he wanted. Now, for him, a $100 gift is probably less than a penny in proportion to someone else's $100 gift. You know, we, we live relative in the financial realm. Uh, it was one of, that car was one of over a dozen other exotic sports cars that his, his dad had given him. God is not paying attention to the, the size of our gifts. He's looking at the amount in proportion to what we have. Because that actually represents the size of our faith and it represents the portion of our heart that God has captured. It, it shows. It's a direct link into our heart. We see an example of this when Jesus is at the temple and people were dropping their gifts in the offering box and he's just observing there. He says this in Luke 21. Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box. And he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. And he said, truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them. For they have contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had. Jesus puts the spotlight on her faith. He, he shows. Man, she, she gave, God had her heart right here. This is evidence she gave. How, how can we become like this? How, how can we be people who actually allow the things they've been given to flow right back to God? Well, you aren't going to find this in self-help books. You aren't going to find it in a weekend seminar but you, you don't need more information, you need transformation. To grow in generosity, we need transformation. So we're going to look at another story in Jesus' life that shows how Jesus transforms our heart so we live a generous life. This is one of the evidences that Jesus is, is working in you and that you're walking with him. He's, he's creating a tremendous amount of generosity in you over more and more as you go on throughout your days. Um, Luke 19 starts out like this. He entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, and he was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. Uh, didn't make Ferraris back then, but he may have had one if they did. Being the chief tax collector meant he had people under him that collected, collect, collected, Collected taxes. So he, he, he's the, the chief, so he's got people under him, and he sets the tax. What Rome allowed you to do is to, they, they had their portion that they expected to get, and then the chief tax collector could set a higher amount that he gave some to those under him, and then he took the rest. So they, they, these people were hated. These tax collectors, they were hated in this society. He had a great job with great money, but he, he, 
he had status and success in a way, but he was also extremely unpopular because he took money away from the people under siege. So he was seeking to see who Jesus was, Zacchaeus was, and on account of the crowd, he could not see him. He was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. When was the last time you ran to see some you wanted to see? I mean, when, you know, you just you see him and you're just in an all-out sprint. I was a boy the last time I remember doing that, a little, a little boy. And my grandkids do it. Warms my heart. You know, uh, just they start sprinting and they give me a hug. That's, hey, that's what kids do. That's, that's fantastic. But a grown man? I think I slightly remember a friend doing that with me, just joking one time, and I'm trying to forget about it. I mean, you know, that, 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 guys don't do that. You know, you don't, you don't sprint to run. But it says Zacchaeus ran ahead and climbed a tree. That's something else I haven't done in a while. Okay? And in, in this culture, dignity was important. And, you know, you didn't, you didn't even want to show, dignity was so important that they didn't show any part of their legs. They, they let their robes just lay down there. You know, you didn't, to pick your robe up and start sprinting, okay, not cool, not, 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 not good. So, here's a grown man who runs and climbs in a tree. What, what would cause that? When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. Zacchaeus gets rewarded for his effort to see Jesus. He's not only able to see him, but Jesus speaks to him and he says, hey, I want to stay at your house today. I'm not sure if there was any history between the two, but this was an expression of grace. Because here's this outsider, he's an outcast in society, he's hated by the people that are there, by all the religious people. They hate him. And Jesus says, I, I want to stay at your house. An expression of grace that looked past the shady sin of Zacchaeus. So Zacchaeus came down and welcomed him into his home. He, he welcomed Jesus into his home with great joy. What happened next? When they saw it, they all grumbled. So these are the religious folks. They're upset. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Now, this is how stingy people are. Okay? I want God. I want his blessings all for me. But, wow, if you start, if you start spilling those blessings over to other people that aren't as worthy as I am, there's a problem. This is, this is how stingy people think. They were grumbling. They were upset. They were indignant that the grace of God was shared with this scum. That's, that's who he was in their mind. Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. 
Now, this is where we see into the heart of Zacchaeus what Jesus has done. Jesus, just in his relating to him, he's, he's been changed. And this is how you see Zacchaeus knows Jesus better now. The change is taking place. His vision for his money makes a radical shift. What he's going to do with it. He had what looks great on the surface. Success, authority, status, comfort. But no real relationships. No, no, nobody wanted to be around him except his fellow tax collectors and sinners. Because of the role he played with taking the taxes from the people. He was lonely. People hated him. They weren't happy with the favor given to him by Jesus. But that favor, that grace that Jesus showed, changed him dramatically. It completely shifted his vision of what he wanted to do with his money. When you peel back the exterior trappings of success, what he really needed and what he really wanted was forgiveness for his wrongs. And he knew he needed his insides put back together. This is what you see in this story. It's not readily apparent to us. But when he was forgiven, his heart was healed. He declared, Jesus, I'm going to give half of what I have, uh, uh, what I have away and restore what he, he had taken fourfold. Now, that repaying was normally double, but he, like, quadrupled it fourfold. So he went way over and above what he really needed to do according to the custom of his day. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he is also a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Now that's an important statement. This is Jesus' mission. He came to seek people who were lost to God and help them come back into a relationship with him. And that's the people, the religious people, they were grumbling. But this is what Jesus does. This is, this is who he is. This is at the core of what he came to do. These two verses bring it all into perspective. Jesus acknowledged Zacchaeus' faith and his willingness to change the direction of his life. That was what his, his, his vision changed toward his money. And that was evidence, hardcore evidence, because you've got to realize Zacchaeus, tax collector, he was all about money. So when he says, I am going to give my money away, I'm going to give this much to the poor, I'm going to pay everybody back fourfold, you see the difference. Salvation came. Not because he bought it. He did what he did because he had grace given to him in Jesus Christ. He came to Jesus with extreme humility. He was willing to humiliate himself. He ran. He climbed a tree. He looked over the people. And when you humble yourself before God and say, Lord God, I, I have been going my own way. I, I'm turning around now and I want to go your way. When you do that, you're forgiven. God, I'm going to make you the leader of my life, the Lord of my life. Zacchaeus didn't buy salvation. It was just his giving was just evidence that Jesus had changed his heart. He had transformed him to be a person who became a generous giver. 
His faith brought repentance and change, the changing of his ways. This is what real faith does. It showed up in Zacchaeus' approach to money. It shows up all over the place. And in this story, you see how money is a direct link to our heart. What we do with our money gives an x-ray of what we treasure the most. And Jesus became the most important person to Zacchaeus beyond himself. Jesus wants to replace the current vision of our lives with, with his. And it begins with faith that springs into action where we choose to give ourselves to him. Where we trust him with our lives to the point where we do things his way. If you decide to follow Jesus, if you haven't yet, if you're here, he will change your heart. He will lead you to give more and more generously. He will lead you to choose um, kindness, to take courageous action in situations where it's needed. He will change your heart and it will show up in the way you live. That, that's the point of this story. Your finances are one area that gives an x-ray into your heart. And it shows your growth level, how more, more mature, how mature you're becoming in Jesus Christ, and the level of your trust for him. What is your money vision? What would you do with a sudden windfall? Better yet, how do you use the paycheck that you get? Weekly or every other week or monthly. How, how do you use that paycheck? You can either spend it or invest it. There is no greater indicator of your faith than what you do with your money. This is where the rubber meets the road here. The Lord gave us a mental picture of heaven. Now, the picture of heaven, we have the total wrong idea about it. and I don't have time. We're actually going to do a message sometime in the next year, I can't remember exactly when, where we're talking about heaven. But the reason he tries to paint this picture in the scripture about heaven is he wants us to get a glimpse of how great it's going to be. This is going to be an awesome place. And it's not about, you know, having, you know, wearing robes and singing in a choir. It's, it's much more than that. That, that doesn't, okay, if, if that's what would please God, I will, I'm willing to do that. But I don't get fired up about putting on a robe. And currently, I don't get fired up about putting on a robe and singing in a choir. It's much more than that. I think heaven is going to be something like the earth was intended to be. You get a, you get a patch of land and you are responsible to uh, rule over it. Under God's leadership. I don't know. I don't know what it's going to be like exactly. But the picture you see in heaven is compelling in Scripture. Because God wants us to understand that we can build for that. We can build toward that. We can use the temporary days, however long we have here on earth. We can use the temporary things to build for a life and in eternity. And as you follow Jesus, he will expand your picture beyond yourself, beyond this life. And he will lead you to invest the temporal into the eternal. This, this is what he's going to do. 
As I wrap up the message today, I'd like to ask you if you would to pull out the connection card uh, that's in your program and either begin filling it out or complete it based on what you haven't had a chance to complete yet. There are some next steps that I would like to suggest. And then if, you, if you'd like to take one of these steps, uh, when the offering ushers come around, you can drop the card in, in the offering basket. We're going to receive the offering in a few moments. Here are a couple of suggested next steps and then one where you can just decide what God wants you to do. If he's spoken to you in some way specifically out of the message. My next step today is to memorize 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 7. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. That's just, that's the picture in scripture of how sowing bountifully in our finances brings a bountiful harvest back to us. And then another step would be choose faith in my Attitude toward giving or the amount I give. You could circle one of those or there may be something else God said to you this morning uh, that you want to step out and take action on. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the truth we see in your word that really does help us. And I thank you for the fact that you guide us and direct us. And you're so patient with us, God. Thank you for your grace and your kindness and the favor that you show. And I pray, Lord, that as you've laid these steps on our hearts to take, I pray that you'd give us the strength and the help to take them. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.